want to do now is start picking up where we left off because I think it's important. Because this passage, as we've talked about it before, this section that we're going to be working in is a little bit difficult, but it's also a great passage. Now, you've heard me say, oh, that was a great passage. That's because I say every single one of them is a good passage. So I'll try not to say that, uh, but I often do it. But yeah, I want to re recognize the fact that during this time, we've had time off. We've been talking about the Apostle Paul, the writings that he has done in the book of Galatians and the other things he's written, just incredible stuff. And what an impact that's had over so many years in the lives of people. And so what we want to do is be able to go to this passage, and we should have it here in front of us. We want to do a real quick review of Galatians, because it seems like it's been almost a long time since we were back in Galatians. So let me kind of give you a real, real brief thing of Galatians, just to kind of get us through going again, and what it was about, and what was the significant part. And so what I have here is kind of like four little snippets uh, that are probably really significant. And I think it's good because it helps us remember, like, oh, yeah, I did remember that. And, yeah, we did go through that passage. So notice this passage. This is Galatians chapter 1. And this is so interesting when Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel, not that there is another gospel. That's a great passage because he's saying, I can't believe it. Now, remember, Paul is dealing with a lot of people who are Gentiles and Jewish, but many of these people were not taught very well, and people are coming in that are taking them away and moving them away. And what's happening is Paul was saying, you can imagine he is just absolutely you know, in, a, in a tither about this. He's, when he says, I'm amazed, it's where Thaumazo is like, I can't, can't believe it. I can't believe it that you're so quickly turning away from him, Christ whom called you by the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. Now notice that phrase, <laughs> not that there is another gospel. The point he's making, there is only one gospel. There's only one gospel. And so, you know, if you're moving another direction, you're going in the wrong way because this is what the gospel is all about. And so here's that one. Here's another one. Here's chapter 2, from chapter 1 to chapter 2. This was an interesting one, if you remember. This is when you have two apostles basically opposed to each other. But when Cephas, this is Peter, came to Antioch, Peter says this, I opposed him. I opposed Peter. It's not very often that you have two great apostles that are kind of in a struggle with each other. Because he said, I opposed him, Peter, in his face because he stood condemned. He said, for he, Paul said, he regularly, I mean, he said to Peter, regularly ate with the Gentiles as long as the Jewish guys from the top group are not there. And he said, what happened there? He said, Gentiles, he said, he said, men came from James. He said, however, when they came, well, he withdrew. In other words, he didn't mind eating the pork sandwich. But when the guys from the upper groups came out from Jerusalem, then he said, mm, I probably ought to not eat that, and let's not even talk about it. And on this passage, it's really important, because he said he withdrew, and he separated himself because he feared those were of the, quote, circumcision party. In other words, he's saying, you know, Peter, I have great respect for you, but you're a hypocrite. Whew. Nobody likes being told you're a hypocrite, but that's what, Peter's tell and that's what Paul's telling Peter. That's exactly right. You had no problem 
when the big guys weren't there, but now that they are, you do it your way. And he says, what you did was wrong. Third one, Galatians chapter 3. Here's where Paul, again, is just on the, ready to blow up. You foolish Galatians. Can you imagine saying that? You foolish Galatians. Who has hypnotized you before whose eyes that Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified? And then he asked this really good question. I only want to learn from you this. Did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer to the question is the law cannot do that. It's only faith that can do that. Go to chat, next chapter, chapter 369, a very short one. But this is one we've heard so many times that we still know and recognize. Just as Abraham believed God and God, and it was credit to him for righteousness, then understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. It's a beautiful little passage. It reminds us of what God has done. We people who most of us are Gentiles, non-Jewish people, we have been brought in to the tree of Abraham. We belong. Next one, real quick. We'll take this in their passage right now. Look, we have three different questions we're going to ask real quickly. First one is question number one. And here it is. What is the purpose of the law? Now, I want to be really clear. The next two verses might put you to sleep very quickly. So feel like you can nudge the person next to you if you feel like you need to do that to keep them awake. Because to be honest with you, I've looked through these passages, I've looked through the commentaries, and I look and I go, I think I know that that's the big idea, but I'm not exactly positive. So stay with me. What's the purpose of the law? Now remember, the law was one of the most important things for the Jewish people. And for the many of the Jewish people who came to faith in Christ, they're Jewish believers, for them the question was, what is the role of the law? Now that I'm a Jewish person who's come to faith in Jesus Christ, how do I look to the law? I, I love the law. The scripture says the law is so wonderful. The law does this. But there's some things that the law cannot do. And so we ask the question, what is the purpose of the law? Well, he tells us in verses 19 and 20, and they are difficult. Now notice this. Why then was the law given? He says, well, it was added because of transgressions until the seed, like the coming of Christ, to whom the promise was made would come. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a little dense. But I think I know what he's saying here. But he says, why then the law was given? It was added because of transgressions. It's kind of like this way. It's saying, you know, we would expect the opposite. Transgressions are bad things. Why would the law add to that? Probably because what Paul was saying at this point when he says that about transgressions, it's saying it's like putting a light onto something where you're seeing something bad and it's in dark and suddenly, voila, the light is there. And you go, oh, oh, those are bad things, weren't they? That's probably what Paul is trying to say. And again, I'll be honest, there's others that take it a different view. But what he's saying probably makes sense. He said the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now notice, we don't hear much about the Bible in the Bible that we would think you would think about angels. When do you think about angels? We think about angels when Jesus was born. 
We think about when Jesus died and rose again. We think it a couple times in Acts, but you don't see it a lot. And yet it must be that God has his angels that do his jobs for him. Though that's something we don't think about much in our culture anymore. So notice what he said. Then why was the law given? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. And now Paul goes on another direction. What does a mediator do? Well, some of us have been in lawsuits or something where you have a mediator and one person that says it's this way and the other person says it's that way and you have a mediator who does that. So Paul's going to use the metaphor of, a, of that, to make it that a metaphor about what was going on in, in the gospel. Notice we said, now a mediator is not just for one person. In other words, you have to have the guy who's the mediator and the two people are having the struggle. He said, now a mediator is not just for one person, but God is one. It's interesting. He throws that little thing and saying, God is one. He wants them to understand that we understand the scripture. There's only one God. Okay? One God only. He's very clear on that. And so he said, yes, this question in 21, is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Because God's made all kinds of promises. And that's an interesting question because, well, it kind of seems that way. It seems like that now we're in the new covenant, things have changed. And, and I don't know. He said, is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Well, Peter come, Paul comes right back and says, absolutely not. It's that Greek word, meganoita, not at all. And so he said, for if a law had been given that was to give life, well, then righteous would certainly be by the law. In other words, has anybody ever been saved by the law? No. The law is great. The law is wonderful. It's still good for us to read the Old Testament. It has so much for us to learn. But he's saying, we're in the new covenant now. <clears throat> Things have changed. And he says, he said, we will give, can it give life? Nope. Righteousness would certainly be given by the law. Now notice what he says. Verse 22 is kind of strange. He kind of is talking about the scriptures like they're alive. So stay with me. But the scripture has imprisoned everything under sin's power. Why? So that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ may be given to those who believe. He loves to use that phrase. So that, that those who have faith in Jesus Christ may be given to those who believe. It's a beautiful little passage. And he says, before faith came, we were confined under the law. We were imprisoned under the law until the coming of faith was revealed. That is when Jesus came. And so he said, well, so what's the purpose of this? And he tells, he said, well, let me tell you what it is. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. In the ancient world, the Greeks and the Romans, it was very, very important that you had guardians for your children. We sort of have that in America today. If you're rich, maybe, you have somebody who goes with you. But in that culture, a lot of people, particularly if they had money, that they would have people to go. And they say, okay, uh, we're going to hire so-and-so to go with Bobby to, the, you know, to this place and that place and get his classes and stuff. So he said, the law then was our guardian until Christ so that he could, we could be justified by faith. That word faith keeps popping in again and again. It's not by law. It's not by our verse, but what we want to do is by faith. But since that faith has come, 
we're no longer under a guardian. We don't have to be a guardian anymore. For you are all, and notice this phrase, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Many people back then in those days would say, what did he say? Saying that we are all sons of God through Jesus Christ. And he's saying, that's exactly right. You belong. There's a place for you in God's plan. He said, for all of you are sons through faith. It's an amazing phrase. That's question number one. Question number two is this. For as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ like a garment. Stop and think for a minute. Listen to that phrase again. For as many of you who have been baptized into Christ. Let's stop for a minute. David Reyes a few weeks ago was talking how important it is about baptism. Talking about remember your baptism. This is the same thing, but in a little bit different way in what he's doing, where he says, for as many of you have been baptized into Christ. In the early church, it was like almost inconceivable for somebody to say, what do you mean? You're a Christian, but you're not baptized? They'd be like, why? What would keep you from being baptized? Baptism is something that shows that I now belong to the Lord. He said, so for many of you who have been baptized, and he uses this unusual phrase, but a beautiful phrase. He said, he is, you've been baptized into Christ. Paul loves to use that phrase, the idea of union with Christ. We are connected with him by his grace, not by one thing we've done, but by his faith. But he said, but you have put on Christ like a garment. Another interesting metaphor where he says, Therefore, he's in that next verse, therefore, I love this phrase, there is no Jew or Greek or slave or free master, or male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. In the ancient world, people would have said, what? Are you nuts? In the ancient world, people, well, we are that too, but not the way, the way they were. We're like, yeah, what is your status? Well, I'm a slave, but I'm a house slave. What about you? Well, I'm a slave that works on the bricks. Whatever it was, everybody had, they knew where they were at in the whole realm. And he says, for as many who have been baptized in Christ, you have, like, it's like you've put Christ on like a garment. And I said, there's no Jew or Greek. That says, yes, it is. Status is everything. And what he's saying, no, it's not. If you know Jesus Christ and come to have faith in him, you, don't, you belong. I mean, I'm just a slave. I don't care if you're a slave, what you do, what you've done wrong. If you've come to faith in Christ, you belong. Can you imagine how that message would impact the lives of people in that time? It still impacts us today. And so he says, and down that verse, he said, and if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed. Now, the Jewish people that were, might be there, Jewish believers, go, oh, I get a little nervous there. I'm not sure, if, I don't know if I like that idea because that goes back to Abraham from the very beginning. And he's saying, uh-huh, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying that even these Gentiles that you don't, many of you don't like, he said, you know what, they belong. God has put them onto that tree and they belong. And because of Christ, you belong. Galatians chapter 4, 1, 7, I'll go through this quicker, look. He says, now I say that as long as an heir is a child, he differs in no way from being a slave. In other words, if you're a kid and your father might have a billion dollars, but you can't get at it, well, you can't do anything. He said, though he's the owner of everything, instead he's under guardians, he's under stewards, that's stewards until the time of his father. In other words, his father says, okay, this was the time. I told you when you're 14, you're going to get the Ferrari. He says, okay, that's when you can do it. <laughs> 
So he says in verse 3, in the same way, we also, I love this phrase, when we were children, we were in slavery under the elemental forces of the world. What does he mean by the elemental forces? Probably means this. In that culture, in that time, a thousand years ago, many of these people believed that there was these different forces, powers, things that were out there in the world that some of them were good to you, some were dangerous, some were very scary. And so he's talking to these people in their world, in the world that they knew. Back to verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the elemental forces of the world. And then I love verse 4, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so they might receive adoption as sons. That is a wonderful verse. What a verse. I don't belong to anything. Yes, you do. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you matter to God. And he's saying, listen, this is what it is. Verse 6, and because he says you're sons of God, God has sent his spirit, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Abba means, Ab just means Father. Abba is Ar actually Aramaic. It's not you know, what we'd expect it to be. Abba, Father. I was flying on a plane from Dallas to Germany, going from there to Israel. It was on a, a tour I was on. And... Across the seat from me was a little boy, about 12, I guess, maybe even younger than that, because he was constantly moving. Constantly, something was this going on. Could you sit down, please? This waitress wants you to sit over here. Would you please sit down? All this is going on. And the kid's going, Abba, Abba, Abba. And I'm sitting there thinking, a thousand years later, they're still using the word Abba. I would pray that they would come to know Jesus fully as their Savior. But notice he says, Abba. Father, I belong. So you're no longer a slave, but, not, but you're a son. <clears throat> and if a son, he said, then you're an heir through God. Real quick, question number four. What does this mean to us today? Boy, we live in such a different world. It's a totally different world. Imagine if the Apostle Paul suddenly became alive and was sitting here in the room. What about maybe we drop them off in downtown Dallas and said, why don't you get something to eat? We'll meet you at the store. Uh, can you imagine what that would be like for him? So many things have changed in a changing world. What is a constant that we can look at, that we can say, I know that this is firm. Here's three. We'll end with this. The one thing you can count on is the gospel. The gospel hasn't changed. It will not change. Second, God's faithfulness. His faithfulness, you can count on. You can take it to the bank, as they say. Number three, God's promises. If you've got those three, you've got a lot. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures, how these scriptures speak to our heart, how thankful we are that we could be able to come and look at these scriptures that you've given us. Help us to be the men and women you want us to be, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.